It's here, the first Ghostbusters interdimensional cross-rip t-shirt, featuring front art by Dapper Dan Shonen. Wear your support for the podcast with pride. Proceeds from sales will go to keeping the lights on and not to putting beer in our stomachs. Men's and women's styles are available. Visit GhostbustersHQ.net slash shop to buy yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Hey there, fellow conductors of the Metaphysical Examination, and welcome to the crossword for the week of March 26th, 2018. This week on the show, a little different format. It is me and me alone. I'm sorry, I apologize in advance. Yes, Chris is still out on holiday, so I'm going to make my way through all the news this week, which includes a Ghostbusters World video, some talk about Diamond Select, Richard Edlin talking about Ghostbusters special effects, a Ray Parker Jr. documentary. Buckle up, here we go. Toys.net presents the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key master? Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. I think these people are completely nuts. Woo! So uh, right about here is where we usually are talking. We're warming up and we're, you know... Getting, getting used to talking on a microphone, and but uh, hey everybody, this is Troy, and I'm by myself this week. As we mentioned uh, last week, Chris is uh, on holiday right now uh, for a couple of weeks, so <sighs> you guys are stuck with me. I'm solo for uh, a couple of weeks, so uh, but I hope you enjoy this new uh, impromptu format. It's just going to be me talking to you. There's not a whole lot of conversation. It's just me. I have the microphone, so you will listen to everything I say. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like Chris is having a great time. He's in Italy right now with his family, and, uh, I did see some photos that he posted up to Proton Charging that he hung out with, uh, GB Max of Ghostbusters Mania fame. Uh, very cool. I'm glad that they were able to hook up with one another and, and chat, and, uh, I think he will be filing maybe a field report, uh, to tell us a little bit about that, but, uh, in the meantime, yes, it is just me on the podcast. I'm sorry. You have to listen to my voice, but that... Hopefully is not going to deter you from listening to this episode because we have a whole lot of great stuff that's coming up. We're going to talk about Ghostbusters World. Uh, going to talk about IDW, Diamond Select. Uh, there was a great article about Richard Edlund that I'll be going through. Uh, there's also uh, a little bit of a Ray Parker Jr. documentary uh, primer that we'll be talking about because it's something that we brought up but we never really uh, dove into in, in great detail. So I'll be talking about that in this episode. And uh, we're going to have fun. Just, it's going to be good, but uh, before I do hop into the news, I do want to thank everybody that reached out to me last week on the episode. I did mention that I had some uh, screen-used Proton Pack parts that I got for the Ghostbusters Answer the Call Pack, and, uh, you know, I was a little torn if I should be, um, I, I don't want to say cannibalizing those because that's the wrong word, but uh, using those parts uh, for my own replica build. I, I wasn't sure if it was you know, a, a bit blasphemous to be using screen-used parts and a, a fan replica, but uh, the, the verdict is out. Everybody wrote back uh, unanimously and said, uh, do it, build the pack, Troy, use those parts, uh, make make whatever makes you happy, and that's pretty awesome. So uh, I will be making the pack. I will be using the uh, parts in those, and uh, it, it should be a whole lot of fun. So I'll, I'll make sure to update people here on the podcast, and if you follow Ghostbusters HQ on Facebook and Twitter, I'll be doing that. And then uh, if you are one of those people out there that is building a replica of the Answer the Call pack uh, and you want 
uh, references or you want uh, photos or measurements or patterns or all that stuff, I'll be doing that and documenting it and putting it up on uh, our good friends at GB Fans. Uh, that's always a good resource, so I'll, I'll put those up there as soon as that is ready. But uh, all right, guys, let's do this. Without any further delay, I feel like we should just jump jump right into the news and see how I do flying solo. Here we go. Hey guys, Peter. I have some news from the world of Gozer. I got some pretty cool stuff cooking up over here if you want to turn your head. Multiplanar curly and emanation. Now, well, here's your next month's cover of GQ. Check out the aura on this sucker. All right, so I get to start wherever I want to, and that's amazing. Freedom. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. We, I, ha, I have total freedom when Chris is here too. That's that's not fair. But uh, so I want to talk about Ghostbusters World because if you guys have been keeping up with this mobile game, uh, they have been slowly delving out some information and some previews of the game. And uh, this past week, uh, Ghost Core slash Ghostbusters World, I guess they're working hand in hand. Uh, they released a Let's Play video or a playthrough video, um, depending on what you want to call it. And it was Eric from Ghost Core himself. Uh, in front of the Ghost Core offices, so you see the Ectomobile out front, uh, playing through uh, one bust. So you get to see the the breadth of all of the uh, equipment that you can use, including a proton shotgun. Uh, you do see the answer the call uh, PKE meter as well as the classic PKE meter. Uh, very, very cool stuff. Um, and I think the video is maybe about two minutes long. So it, it does take quite a bit. He takes down the zombie taxi ghost. And it takes him a little bit of doing in order to uh, to conquer that ghost and, and harness him into a trap. But uh, it's, you know, it's it's pretty fun. It is a pre-alpha, you know, very early going. So I have a feeling lighting, shading, rendering, animation, a whole lot of stuff in there is still temporary. But uh, it gives you a good idea of what the game is going to be like. So what I wanted to talk to you all in the listening audience and Chris, if he were here, uh, about is uh, at the very beginning of the video, you see the world map, uh, sort of Super Mario Brothers 3 style, where you're walking around in this uh, Google Maps API world that they've created. And there are several buttons uh, on the left and on the right side of the screen. And uh, I don't know if it was intentional. Maybe they're trying to tease us with some things or if this is sort of our first glimpse at some of the functionality of the game itself but on the lower left hand corner there is a pvp button which um you know uh, when we talked about it i don't know it was two or three weeks ago chris and i were saying that we hoped that there was going to be a lot of uh of, of fan interaction that you were going to either be able to somehow battle your friends or work with your friends to take down a particularly difficult ghost and it seems as if that will be coming true it looks like there is a pvp option now PvP leads me to believe that you're going to fight each other based upon the player versus player uh, nomenclature that it's utilizing. So I don't know if that means... I would think PvP, like if, if you capture a ghost and maybe you're you're fighting your ghost, that's too Pokemon. I don't think that's going to be the way it is. But, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, to see who can take down the ghost first, or maybe there are going to be a few things like the Ghostbusters, the video game multiplayer, where you have uh, several ghosts and whoever captures them all first gets all of the points, that kind of thing. So uh, that's very interesting. And then the other thing that I noticed, and I, I have seen a few people on social media calling this out, there's a button on the right hand side of the screen that says user dimension gate and it's got a weird sort of ghost uh, logo icon that goes with it and so i saw that and then i looked right directly above that and there's a portal that looks exactly like one of the portals from the idw comic if you've been following along with all of the 
crossing over and Ghostbusters Get Real and the TMNT comic uh, crossover, uh, there's a very distinctive, uh, you know, door looking portal that they've been using in the IDW comics. And, uh, and that looks like it appears in this world map. So I wonder if you can travel between universes or kind of like the, the, um, was the concept between Ghostbusters Hellbent where, uh, you know, there's these universes that exist within the atoms of our universe. So I wonder if you can, uh, hit a button and, uh, walk through a portal and all of a sudden you're in another version of your neighborhood. You're in the hellscape version of Parker, Colorado. I don't know what it's going to be, but, uh, that's, that's very fascinating. I wonder how that's going to play into the game. If that's, you know, if you're walking around and there's no ghosts, if you hit that button and you can go into another universe, maybe there are ghosts in that one. Uh, or, are you walking between the real Ghostbusters universe, the movie universe, the answer the call universe? Uh, do you have that control where you can be walking quite literally through a door that takes you into those universes? I'm not sure, but uh, could be cool. Um, the, again, these are like the little glimpses uh, that they give us. And I, I think they're hoping that we sort of speculate on what those all mean, but I'm sure we'll have all of the full details once the game is actually in alpha and, uh, you know, and in, in the beta and the alpha stages, we should start seeing people who are playing it and can tell us what those buttons do. So, uh, stay tuned on that front ghostbusters world. If you're not following them on Facebook, uh, Twitter, I don't believe they're on Instagram at the moment, but they are, they're slowly starting to give us, uh, some information on this game. And, uh, and I have seen a lot of people, especially in the comments on the ghost core video, uh, it's just Paranormal Blast. Uh, we've covered that last week. I, this is, uh, it, it. yes, on surface level, at face value, it does look a lot like Paranormal Blast, but I feel like this is a lot, hmm, not, I mean, I, I guess wider in scope. It, it looks like they're throwing more money into this than they did Paranormal Blast. Let's just put it that way. It looks, it looks more expensive. Is it heavy? Then it's more expensive. Um, so yeah, check, check it out. Ghostbusters World. Uh, anxiously awaiting the release of that game. Um, all right, let's talk about Diamond Select Series 7. That's out in stores now. That's the set that comes with uh, Janos Poha, uh, Winston Zedmore with the Slime Blower, and I believe the third one is Egon Spangler in his charcoal uniform. Uh, these are hot on the heels of Series 6, which just released not too long ago, just a few weeks ago. Uh, I have Janos uh, staring at me right now. He and Vigo are on top of my... Uh, the monitor speakers that I have here in, in my studio. And, uh, it's pretty awesome guys. It's pretty weird to have a Janos action figure. Well, n- not just a Janos action figure, but a Janos and an Oscar, the baby action figure. Come on. I, Kenner at no point ever considered like, well, Ghostbusters two is coming out. We should do a baby action figure that everybody can No, There's, I mean, this is, <sighs> we're spoiled guys. I say it very frequently and very often, but we are incredibly spoiled by the stuff that we get lately. But uh, so yeah, it's, it's awesome. I've got Vigo, I've got Janos, I've got Oscar. Um, I don't know which of the other figures I'm going to be picking up. It's, it's kind of, I'm, I actually, if anybody out there knows, uh, have, has somebody cataloged which firehouse pieces come with which figures? Because I'd be curious to see, I mean, I want to pick up um, probably Winston with the slime blower, uh, I don't, maybe Egon in the charcoal uniform. I don't know. It's, it's tough. It, it, I'm into the, I'm into the same, you know, place where when I was working through, uh, justifying purchasing all of the Mattel figures where it's like, all right, I'm on the fourth or fifth variant of Egon. Uh, how many Egon figures do I need? And yes, I know the correct answer is all of them. Thank you. I can hear you guys all yelling at your radios, but 
it's it's tough. I uh, income with a baby now is not what it used to be, so I have to be very selective with my purchases. And also, I don't have a whole lot of space. As I mentioned, Vigo and Yanos are on top of my computer monitor. They will probably be going into storage sometime soon. But that's not for you guys to worry about. That's for me to worry about. But yeah, if anybody out there knows, if you've cataloged or if if you've seen anybody who has. Uh, you know, if the sidewalk comes with the Egon and I do know that the Ghostbusters sign, the firehouse sign from the first movie comes with Janos, uh, the uh, Ghostbusters two sign comes with Vigo. So I've, I've got those, but, uh, yeah, if, if anybody knows out there, please, please let me know. Uh, let's see, let's, let's talk about, okay. So, um, Tara Bennett, who, if you're not familiar, she's a writing colleague of mine. She does wonderful behind the scenes making of publications, uh, she's the one who was responsible with her writing partner Paul Terry for the Big Trouble in Little Little bleh, Big Trouble in Little China, tongue tied, and it's not good when you're doing this by yourself, guys. I'm sorry, um, but that that making of book that I mentioned uh, several months back that came out from Boom Studios that details the the making of Big Trouble in Little China, uh, she is responsible for that. She's also a writer for Sci Fi and uh, a whole lot of uh, online blogs and magazines. Uh, very very prolific writer, very good person too. I love her. Um, but she did an interview on Sci-Fi Wire with Richard Edlund, who was the VFX, I'm sorry, special effects supervisor on Ghostbusters. And, and of course, the founder of Boss Film Studios worked on uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. He was one of the original ILM alumni. Um, so she did this article with him talking about his career. You know, he's 78 years old now and he's very retrospective and and very candid. He's being very honest about the state of the special effects industry, the visual effects industry, how they have blurred together and how some filmmakers are really good at doing practical effects and some are more reliant upon the uh the cg version of of special effects but um so it's a great article i really recommend that you guys check it out but here are just a few of the highlights that i found from the article and then i can kind of elaborate on them a little bit i guess uh so uh, tara asks well you worked on the original star wars a new hope so you get to judge because he's talking about this was in response to him talking about the prequels he was not a fan of the prequels, but, uh, he's, uh, he, again, like I say, he's very candid in this interview. Uh, she says, so speaking of which, when you are watching visual effects, heavy films, or one that you have worked on, can you separate yourself from seeing the work and just enjoy it? Now this is, I, I have a lot of friends that are in the industry who do have this complaint, or sometimes it ends up being a compliment of a movie. When you go into the movie and you can sort of see the seams and you know how they created that, and you're trying to pick things apart and be like, well, that's, that's a practical set. That's a set extension. I bet that they composited that person into the shot because it doesn't even look like they're there. Um, there are a lot of times where it pulls you out of the movie. If you're reverse engineering things, much like, you know, if, if somebody is a recording arts major and they're listening to my podcast, they're going like Troy, the EQ on this is horrible. Those curves you're using are ridiculous. And I, I understand that. And it, it you bump on it, it pulls you out of it. Uh, so for a visual effects person, if you're, if you're trying to figure out how they did things and you're always constantly trying to uh, piece that puzzle together, it may take the enjoyment out of the movie for you. And uh, so she's she's asking him if he's able to just sit back and enjoy things or if he's always processing things. Here's his response. He says, I absolutely can separate. If I can't separate myself, then I'm fed up with the movie. You know what I mean? I remember going back to see Multiplicity, which came out in 1996, which I did years ago. I had a friend of mine that was sitting next to me and I was explaining what we did visually. And then we both got lost in the movie and forgot all about the agonies of doing the visual effects. It was pretty much a perfect movie. 
there were no failure shots in the movie at all. It's just that, unfortunately, it was released on Olympic weekend, and the former president of marketing and distribution at Columbia Pictures, Sid Gannis, had just left. So they were in between regimes at the studio when the movie was released. The new publicity people didn't want to see the last guy's work make a whole lot of money, and it was so sad because it was a really neat movie, so it got buried. Uh, Multiplicity, of course, I'm sure everybody's familiar with it. Harold Ramis uh, directed uh, film... I personally love the movie. It is one of those that holds up. It's timeless. You go back and you rewatch it now. And uh, yes, you know, the whole cloning thing and stem cell research and they, it's, it's almost like the X-Files where they're like, well, we'll just inject you with stem cells and that will save you. Like, well, I don't think that's how it works. So they do kind of fudge over the science a little bit uh, because it was 1996, obviously, but a movie still holds up. The visual effects still hold up. It's a lot like when you watch back to the future too. And, there, there are a few scenes, I'm thinking exactly of the Doc Brown sequence where he hands the wrench to his uh, 1955 counterpart. You can tell that the seam goes right down the light post and there's another hand and an arm that comes out to, to hand that, that wrench to him. But, um, you know, it was, all, it was practically done. It was all optical. They were shooting this in camera and then they were doing optical printing on top of it to put the multiples of, of Michael Keaton together. Um, when you watch orphan black, obviously it's a lot more complicated and they've got motion control cameras that they're using and computers and a whole lot of, of things that were not accessible in 1996, but, uh, multiplicity is still one of my favorites. If you are a ghostbusters fan, if you are a Harold Ramis fan and you have not watched multiplicity anytime recently, I implore you just go back and rewatch it. It's such a fun movie. It's so good. And it has all of the same heart and characteristics that, that Groundhog Day really thrives with. So uh, check that out. And it's good to hear that Richard Edlund enjoyed that movie as well. You know, a lot of people, they work on a movie. It doesn't do that well. It's really easy to just sort of sweep it under the rug and uh, pretend like it doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, some sometimes you do, you do some stuff and you're proud of it. And it seems like Richard Edlund uh, is speaking pretty highly of that experience, even though the movie did not do well. So, um, very cool to hear him talk about that. Um, so then in the article, he goes quite a bit into the visual effects industry now being a commodity, um, because it's overpopulated by all these people. There's so many good schools that are creating all of these great, talented visual effects artists and producers and, uh, and everybody, obviously, a lot of TV, a lot of movies. Uh, he does mention, you know, with the Marvel movies, you've got thousands and thousands of visual effects shots in the pipeline. Um, but it's kind of a feast or famine industry. As we've seen, places like Rhythm and Hughes have gone out of business because they pour all of this time and money into a film like Life of Pi and they go broke. They, I mean, they're not a union shop. Uh, they're not getting compensated properly for the work that they're doing. In fact, a lot of these artists are working for minimum wage, which... Uh, is is actually pretty sad. They're very talented people, and it's it's a very um, factory oriented uh, process now, which is not what it used to be. Um, and so, you know, the conversation does sort of steer toward: is it too late for the visual effects industry to unionize, which would help make sure that everybody's getting paid what they should deserve, and make sure that the budgets for uh, visual effects heavy films and TV uh, have that amount of money that they're uh, appropriately compensating these visual effects houses with and uh and unfortunately richard edland again being very candid says that no it's too late it's all of the industry is so used to visual effects coming to the cheapest bidder to the you know they've got four or five different visual effects houses working on one half hour tv show because they're trying to farm out who will do these shots for the the cheapest amount of money and it's too late for that you can't pay those union wages uh, for these people because 
you can't go back and say, well, I was paying whatever it is, twelve fifty an hour for this artist, and now I have to pay thirty seven fifty, and that's the union wage. No, I'm not going to pay that. It's it's too late. So uh, it's it's very disheartening the current state of the industry that Richard Edlund sees, and he's high up there in the visual effects. Uh, they have. It's, it's not a guild per se, uh, but they do. It's the Visual Effects Society, and he has been the president of the Visual Effects Society for, for several years now. So um, anyway, it's uh, if you're into visual effects, if you're into the filmmaking process, go check that out. But as the conversation uh, steers toward films that he had done in the past, he does start to bring up Ghostbusters. So uh, the conversation, Tara says, there are so many different guilds that never unionized and now they suffer for it, uh, speaking specifically to the special effects industry. And Richard Edlund says, right, one of the problems that I came across was that I was a union shop and I had to become a union shop to do Ghostbusters in 2010, this was back in 1984 when Boss Films first opened, uh, because these studios were funding me. I started out being a slick-walled company where nothing stuck to the walls, it was all passed through, studios co-signed the checks and almost everything was a negotiation along the line. When we finally got to doing six bid shows, by that time, I was still a union shop. I had to have Teamsters sitting around in the front office reading paperback novels. I had extra people on the crews and on the stage because you had to have a gaffer and you had to have grips. It wasn't like the non-union shows who had real small crews where everybody wore various hats and you didn't have a 100-person crew standing around on the set. Basically, I had to tell the union to take a hike at that point because they weren't helping me. He was being outbid because he had to put all of these people in there and, and those numbers were inflated is what he was saying. I was having to bid against garage shops that won bids as a result of that. And personally, I wasn't able to compete and I got a pittance for retirement from the union. It was ridiculous. So the the disadvantages of him being unionized back in 1984 and beyond uh, really hurt him and, and could, it seems like, caused the downfall for Boss Film Studios because if they were a union shop and they were being outbid by all of these places that were operating out of a garage or you know, some warehouse out in Van Nuys, um, it, it was tough for him to get the work. It was tough for him to be awarded the contracts for certain movies. And uh, once you're union, you cannot go back. There's no such thing as being a non-union signatory uh, once you have, have signed up with the guild. It's The, the unions in, in the film industry are very fascinating for people. If, if you're into that sort of thing, uh, I won't go into it anymore because it's. Uh, I'm sure everybody else is now tuned out. You're like, Troy, one, your voice is monotonous. You're talking a, mile, a, mi- a million miles a minute here. And uh, I don't want to hear about guilds. I want to hear about Ghostbusters. And that's okay. But I think this is key to understanding what happened to Boss Film Studios after Ghostbusters. Why did they not work on Ghostbusters 2? Why did ILM do Ghostbusters 2? You know, that that conversation has come up many times before, and it's because Boss Film Studios was kind of on its way out. They were working on Alien 3 in 1991 or 92. I can't remember what year it was. And that was I think that was their last film between that and Species, uh, which came out shortly after that. That was... That was the end of it, and uh, they just weren't able to compete with places like ILM. So um, so anyway, so one more Ghostbusters thing from that article, and then we'll move on. Um, he's asked what movies in his career stand out to him, and he goes into Poltergeist, uh, talking about the urban legend, which we all now uh, know to be true, that Steven Spielberg actually directed uh, the original Poltergeist film. 
Um, so that's, that's very interesting. But then he does talk about Ghostbusters being his favorite. He says, Ghostbusters was a favorite. It was difficult working with Ivan Reitman, but it was a lot of fun. And it was also the maiden voyage of boss films. Um, some serious subtext here. It was difficult working for Ivan Reitman. I wonder what he means by that. And, and I have heard him speak. I think it was at the 15th anniversary, maybe when they did a screening and a Q and a, but, uh, he, you know, he did talk about that. Ivan was not used to working on these special effects, heavy movies. It was his first special effects movie really. And so, uh, that, that process of trying to figure out how to work with him, how to take notes from him, how to get creatively what he wanted out of, of Ivan, I think was a little, um, you know, kind of frustrating and maybe took a little bit more work than when you have a, a George Lucas or somebody who's used to working with special effects. Uh, and, and, and many directors are very good at it and many directors are not. So I'm wondering if that's what he's referring to here when he says that the process of working with Ivan was difficult because maybe they couldn't really coax what Ivan wanted out of him. And, uh, especially on Ghostbusters where it was, something very specific, something where uh, you had to have this very fine line of comedy and horror uh, combined together and, and working in some sort of concert. You didn't want things to be too cartoony or too uh, macabre. So uh, trying to get the director to specifically answer questions uh, as to design and, and tone and things like that may have been difficult. But uh, but it's it's all speculation. Only Richard Edlin can say for sure. And uh, I'm sure he he has probably on the record somewhere, so I, I don't want to talk too much out of school about it. But uh, anyway, check check out the um, the sci-fi article because it's it's really good. It's uh, very I'm I'm kind of doing the Cliff's Notes version of it here, uh, but there's a whole lot of great information in there. And again, especially if you are in the visual effects industry, which I know several of our listeners are, uh, check it out because it's it's a really good sort of state of the union on visual effects uh, to to. You know, from somebody who has been there since basically the inception of the modern uh, special effects age, uh, it's it's really interesting. So check it out. Uh, let's talk about this Ray Parker Jr. documentary called "Who Are You Gonna Call?" Now, uh, we did sort of allude to this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, it was still early days. We didn't really know much about the documentary itself, but uh, you know, this is uh, a Ray Parker Jr. centric documentary talking about his career and all of the the gigs that he's played. He was a session musician, so he sat in with. Stevie Wonder and Barry White and a whole lot of these uh, notable, iconic uh, recording artists. And so uh, the Hired Gun documentary that came out last year, he's like a fraction of it. He's, he's in for maybe all of three or four minutes of the documentary and then he's gone. So uh, this is kind of a good opportunity for him to tell his story. Uh, it's also being done by the same producer and director as Hired Gun, which uh, I would imagine is good because he's familiar with the... Uh, familiar with Ray Parker Jr. and his story probably has a whole lot of footage from from Hired Gun that was unused. Uh, and uh, I'm just hoping Hired Gun was a little unfocused. So maybe getting down to a granular, granular level and focusing on one person like Ray Parker Jr. might help him out. But uh, so anyway, so uh, Fran Stryan is the filmmaker on this and they are looking for funding. There's probably about 15 or so days left on their Indiegogo campaign. Uh, if you are listening to this on the Monday that it is released. So go check it out. They're looking for your help to finance this documentary. Uh, the perks are kind of interesting. Uh, they have, uh, you can help them afford the rights to a particular song. You can help uh, fund uh, the use of Ghostbusters, the theme song, which is probably going to be essential in a documentary called Who Are You Going to Call? Just crazy. Don't, don't quote me on it, but I, I think they probably need that. 
Um, they're also going to do a private screening in LA that you can, uh, you can donate and get. Also, if you donate a thousand bucks, you get a signed guitar from Ray. That's kind of a cool collector's item out there. Jeffrey Shrek, I'm looking directly at you, but, um, yeah, so, uh, could, could be really fun. I, I, for one would love to know more about Ray Parker Jr. And, you know, we have heard bits and pieces. He has his sound bites that he talks about in the creation of the Ghostbusters song and how it affected his life and how he paid for uh, his new house with the Ghostbusters royalty rights. But, uh, you know, hearing more about his early days and, and some of the albums and songs and things that he worked on, uh, I'm, I'm really curious more so about that than actually Ghostbusters because I feel like that story... We, we pretty much know inside and out. So um, let's hope that they get their funding and they can get that documentary made. Uh, once again, it's called Who Are You Gonna Call? It's the Ray Parker Jr. documentary. You just have to search, uh, just search Indiegogo or search on Google for Ray Parker Jr. documentary. And it's the one that is not hired gun. That's the easiest way to find it. Uh, Ghostbusters Answer the Call number four out on shelves from IDW, also on digital. Um, I've not had a chance to give it a read quite yet, so I cannot speak toward it. Uh, but I'd also like to speak with Chris about it when he's back. So uh, check check it out. Make sure that you pick it up. Uh, again, IDW is doing amazing, amazing work with the Ghostbusters property. If you have not read Crossing Over, you owe it to yourself to get started on that. If you haven't read the annual, absolutely go pick up the annual. It's so good. Uh, I cannot say any more loving and generous and gushing things about just the team that I, 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 every single episode, I feel like I'm just like, I love you guys. And you're all probably sick of it. And I'm sorry, but yes, I do love uh, Dan and Eric and Louie and Tom and everybody that works on those uh, comics. Uh, the answer to the call team, uh, Kelly and, and those guys are really uh, doing a great job. Um, you know, the, the artwork, uh, I think it's Corin Howell. I, I'm sorry, Corin, if I uh, messed up your name there, but, uh, she's, uh, she's still finding her way, you know, and, and it did take Dan Shoning a little bit too, to find his way and, and his first couple of issues. So, um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how, uh, issue four turned out and, uh, give that a read. So stay tuned. Chris and I will talk about that when he gets back from his holiday. Maybe he's reading it while he's in Rome. Maybe, oh, maybe he picked it up on the IDW app when he was in Italy and it's in Italian. And can you hear him in his, uh, gruff, uh, grumbly Canadian voice, like being upset about having to read the comic in Italian. I, I can hear that. I'm, I'm actually kind of tickled by that. I hope that that's happening. <laughs> um, all right. So one last news item, this is going to be a short episode. Wow. I'm keeping it under a half hour here. Uh, Slimer Day happened at the Perky Nerd in Burbank, California last week. Uh, Perky Nerd is uh, a small coffee shop slash comic shop slash uh, board game shop slash uh, meeting place for nerds of all kinds and walks. Uh, very cool place in Burbank. If you're in the area, check it out. But uh, they did a, a Slimer Day where Robin Shelby showed up and did a Q&A with uh, Tiffany, who's the owner of the, the establishment. Uh, John Yerkeba, as a side note, did a really great print of various different versions of Slimer showing up to the Perky Nerd, which uh, I guess they were handing out at the store. So um, kudos to the to those of you that were there and were able to pick it up. But seems like it was a, a fun event. It's really great. You know, I love seeing Robin Shelby out there talking about her experiences with Ghostbusters. Um, there's also we haven't mentioned it on the show before, but um, and I've, I've, I'm remiss. I didn't write down the name of the actual documentary, but there is a Robin Shelby um, kind of like a, a homemade documentary on, on YouTube, uh, about her time spent, uh, as, as Slimer. I think it's Lady of Slime. Uh, check, check that out. Um, especially if you're a Robin fan, uh, it's, it's her telling her story, but, uh, 
Yeah, uh, Perky Nerd, I'm really glad that events like these, these smaller events are happening at uh, individual comic shops. I know that Dan Schoening uh, just stopped by the Perky Nerd and signed some books. Uh, Eric Burnham, when he's in town, always signs some books there. So that sort of seems to be the uh, Valley Mecca. So if, if Ghost Core is the west side sort of LAX area Mecca for Ghost Heads, then the uh, Valley of Southern California uh, <laughs> Mecca is the Perky Nerd. So... Go, go check them out. They've got a great shop. Uh, Tiffany's very friendly, always has a lot of Ghostbusters stuff in stock. So you owe it to yourself if you are a Ghostbusters fan and happen to find yourself in beautiful downtown Burbank, California. Go check out that Don't store. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, go, go Stoppers. I'm sorry. We'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page and Twitter accounts. Prince is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for Ghostbusters. Interdimensional crossroad. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just want to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That'll do it. Thanks very much, Ray. All right. Well, uh, wrapping up this week, a very short, uh, just a little over half hour episode here on the CrossRip. That's, I guess, what happens when there's just one of us here. But uh, hopefully... Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, hopefully a half hour of hearing me ramble on is uh, okay with you guys. Uh, but yes, Chris will be back. Don't don't sweat it. When he gets back from holiday, he and I will have our usual trademark uh, conversations. So uh, don't sweat it. And here is the sequence or segment in the uh, show where Chris usually gets his final thoughts. Being as Chris is not here, again, I have the microphone and you have to listen to every word I say. So uh, I get to have some final thoughts for once. This is very strange. And uh, I'm also realizing how I put Chris on the spot all the time because I have not prepared any final thoughts here. But I I will leave you guys on a note uh, that, I mean, I have seen a lot of of people that have responded really kindly to um, the IDW Ghost Heads United uh, Facebook page because I I think the mission statement of that that group that they've set up is, is very it's very admirable they want people to just be fans of ghostbusters they don't they want to keep the negativity out they want to make sure that it's just you know a good conversation from fans by fans talking about ghostbusters and and and, and more than just the comics i think it's it's like 90% idw comics and 10% uh, other ghostbusters stuff but um you know i i especially in this day and age where social media really favors the cynicism the outrage du, du jour uh what are we outraged about this morning it'll be something different than we're outraged about in the afternoon uh there was a great portlandia sketch on their final episode where they talked about just being stressed out because you're just news item after news item and it's stressful and it's outraging and I, i'm so angry at this and i'm so sad about this and uh there's just a whole lot of terrible terribly stressful things that are happening in the world right now and so uh, ghostbusters i really wish could continue to be that that oasis that escapism that we're looking for and i know for me this podcast uh, especially when chris is here that's my oasis we get to just talk nerdy and 
and and lovingly about this franchise that we uh, have have come to care for over all of these years. And uh, yes, occasionally we do kind of delve into some cynical topics. Uh, occasionally we do have to deal with the uh, things that we don't like or uh, people we don't like, that kind of thing. But uh, as a whole, I just I love to keep things positive because that's the whole point of it. And uh, I think that the IDW Ghost Heads United Facebook page is really doing a great job about that. So if you haven't already, uh, go to Facebook, hit up IDW Ghost Heads United. Uh, you have to ask to join the group and you have to uh, promise, you have to raise your right hand and solemnly swear that you will not be a jerk, which I think is really great. <laughs> And, uh, and and join in, in the conversation because it's been there's been some great enlightening conversations that I think Michael Tanaka would even enjoy uh, on that page. You know things, Easter eggs that I haven't uh, really gleamed onto. Uh, they talk about Mike the Gollum, who just had one of those digital trading cards that came out and answered all of the questions that Chris and I had on the podcast where we were talking about Ghostbusters crossing over number one. So uh, check it out. Uh, again, it's a very positive experience especially in fandom nowadays where it's so easy to have this drama and infighting and this person doesn't like that person and I don't care. The drama, that's that's one of the whole reasons that the Ghostbusters HQ forums shut down back in the day was just, I don't I don't care about all of the uh, fighting and, and all of that stuff. I just want to, I want to talk about something nerdy and then I want to move on. I, I have so much other drama in my real life that uh, I don't want that to sort of seep into... <laughs> Ghostbusters. So, uh, anyway, long-winded way. Check out IDW's Ghost Heads United. It's a great place, great safe and fun place, I guess I should say. So, uh, all right, guys. Until next week, where you will most likely just be hearing my voice again, but uh, maybe Chris will will hit us with that field report. Will be a lot of fun. Maybe he'll speak Italian. I don't think he's gonna speak Italian. Uh, but yeah. Until next week, this is Troy signing off. See you on the other side. Who you gonna call? Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. You could be one of my two favorite shows. You're kidding me. Oh, great. What was the other one? Bassmasters. It's a fishing show. Everything you're doing is bad. You truly scare me. I want you to love it. Next week, though, Careless Pets. Weird.